set your mind on things above with Taken, a metaphysical fantasy audio drama. He wanted a cure. He found the creator. Chapter 6 Contention Samjaza trailed Tubokan at a brisk pace as they rode horseback through the southern plains of Edenia toward the tribunal Seti. He allowed Tubokan to lead even though he could have easily overtaken him. The human was obsessed with being first. The other watchers followed his example, riding fast but staying a respectable distance behind. Samjaza was a skilled leader, if not a patient one. He tolerated the cumbersome method of travel because it gave him a chance to think, how shall I bring up a truly delicate subject without causing alarm? Samjaza wasn't nearly as irritated with Hazazel and Yemezerik as he had led them to believe. In fact, he appreciated the timing of their impetuousness. If they hadn't blundered, I would have no reason to approach the sons of Adam. Neshtu, Neshtu. Samjaza cooed in the horse's ear as he gripped the mane tightly. The animal slowed. Could it be true the Ancient One created these lowly beings to rule not only the earth, but also the heavens one day? Since he'd been assigned to Adam's realm to guard these creatures against the fallen, he had more encounters with the exiled servants of Lord El than he'd ever had in heaven's realm. Just a few months ago in human time, the great leader had even approached him personally. Samjaza had just dispersed the companies of watchers under his command to their posts throughout Adam's realm. It was hard not to be honored by the unexpected visit on Mount Arata, even though the great leader was no longer in the good graces of the Ancient One. And Samjaza was only a captain. No one of his rank would dare approach even an ex-member of the High Council without invitation, especially not Lord El, who'd also held the office of covering Cherub. Even so... He planned to ignore him as instructed. But the accuser had said something that caught his attention. It was an intriguing question, really. Absurdity indeed. Yet, Samjaza conceded while he watched Tubal Khan charge further ahead, he might have a point that deserves reckoning. Memories of that conversation pricked his conscience. Why do you suppose the Ancient One has not granted us offspring? The great leader asked almost rhetorically. The men of flesh produce children after their own likeness just as the Ancient One does. Yet we men of fire and spirit have none, although we are fully equipped to do so. Even as we speak, some son of Adam is reproducing through his helpmeet. Another pleasure we are to be denied, might I add. Soon they will populate this entire realm. Then what? Shall this lowly life form become greater than we sons of God, who were from the beginning? Captain Samjaza. You are a reasonable man. Consider my point. I have committed no great crime other than to state what is obviously true. I have only the highest regard for the Ancient One. I only wish he regarded us enough to give us freedom as he has the humans. Perhaps the Ancient One is afraid of our freedom. In retrospect, Samjaza was embarrassed at his lack of a response. He hadn't even tried to defend his father. The Ancient One afraid? Never. Complete absurdity. He would never withhold any good thing from us, would he? We would be allowed to have children, too, at the right point, and with a comparable companion such as the woman, if that was necessary. Of course we would. Samjaza had put the ridiculous idea completely out of his mind until last night. 
Tubal Khan's quest made him think, if the sons of God were indeed compatible with these creatures of dust, it just might work. They could redeem the humans and fulfill their desire to procreate. Maybe this was the will of the Ancient One. Peva! Samjaza spoke briskly into his mount's ear. He tightened his grip on the long white mane, urging the animal to gallop full speed. There is only one way to find out. How did I get down here? Enoch stretched. Faint memories of strange voices, lights, and a garden of glowing men faded as he regained his bearings. Rushing water churned nearby, sending a fine mist his way. The jagged cliffs of Avonland peeked through the treetops into the soft orange glow of sun's birth. Praise the light! The stranger must have led me through the cave to the valley. Enoch grabbed his sack, stuffed to the brim with Alru, and made his way toward the river. If he made good time, he could reach the tribunal seti by Sun's Peak. Enoch washed quickly in the cool waters, never taking his eyes off the precious bundle. Funny, I could have sworn the Alru fell out of my pack. He shuddered. The memory of the dark, winding tunnel returned, and his gratitude for the stranger. I hope he comes to the celebration. Everyone came to the annual harvest festival. The sons of Adam and daughters of Eve were numerous now. Only the wisest elders and Medici healers could recite them all. Most were too busy toiling in the fields and with seti life to pay attention to genealogies and such. But once every sun cycle, they made time to remember and reunite. Enoch increased his pace to a run, anxious to hear the tales that would begin at sunsleep. The creation of Father Adam and Mother Eve, the tale of the speaking serpent who deceived, the mysterious cave of hidden treasures, the birth of Cain and Abel, and, well, tempers always flared when Abel was remembered, and Father Cain condemned. Again, six generations later, the tribe of Seth resented Father Cain and his offspring even more. Enoch sighed. Things could have been so different had Cain heeded the warning. Enoch sped past the woodland boundary, panting and fuming. Didisi, let's work together, his cousin said. Let's be friends again. He lied. Tubal Khan's treachery in the woods all but ended his hopes of the clans uniting again. Tis a shame, too. All Cain's offspring didn't show disregard for the Ancient One. Nama is the fairest of all the daughters, and gentle, too. Someone like her thick-headed brother Tubal Khan. Enoch sighed. He might have pursued a union with Nema, but the elders of Seth discouraged it because of their marked one. So he chose Dina, a good woman of Seth's lineage, instead. Dina's a fine wife, Enoch encouraged himself, full of life and a wise Medici indeed. How many times has she soothed my aching limbs with one of her fragrant baths? Too many to count. Yes, Dina is a fine wife. Enoch ran from those thoughts, dashing as fast as a gazelle through the plains. Back home, back to Dina. He sighed. Something inside protested, but she is not Nama. Enough! He reprimanded himself. Why meditate on what can never be? Focus! Enoch zipped past the rolling hills. The familiar surge of light energized his limbs as he neared the seti. The sack full of alru knocked rhythmically against his back, keeping time with his steps. The dump, the dump, the dump, the dump. The ground beneath his feet rumbled. I know that sound. Enoch risked a quick glance behind. Horses! They were coming from the rear at full speed. Praise the light! 
Enoch almost stumbled when he saw the unmistakable figure of Tubal Khan on horseback, and he wasn't alone. Enoch threw his head back and forced everything out of his mind. The challenge, the ailing ones waiting for the Alru, even his own desire to win, and concentrated on just one thing, running. With each step, the faces of his people and their hopes for deliverance returned. The dump, the dump, the dump, the dump. The fence surrounding the compound beckoned. His heart pounded as if his chest would explode. Elders adorned in bright robes chanted in the distance, cheering and waving their arms. The horses kicked dust around him. The scout blew the horn of triumph. A young boy of no more than thirty ran up the lookout post, grabbed a banner and held it high, waving it in large arcs. Tears of relief flowed down Enoch's flushed cheeks. The blue flag with the ivory lion whipped in the wind. It was the banner of Seth. Enoch collapsed and kissed the dirt. Thank you, hidden father. Father Seth led the council, weaving his way through the crowds toward the commotion at the seti gate. As the shouts grew louder, he stuffed his heavy headdress under his robe and tucked the loose strands of his silver mane behind his ear. His wife said the absence of color from his hair made his lineless face even more pleasing. She said the weighty adornment was worth every bit of discomfort for the order it commanded. Come now, woman, he scolded Azura. I am an old man now, he protested. But she shoved the covering on his head anyway and said it never hurt to dress as if there would be an occasion. He took it off as soon as she was out of sight. That woman. Looks like the seventh delivered after all. A council member congratulated him. Wise choice indeed. Father Seth beamed. His tribe's banner was flying high. Azura was right. Well done, Enoch. I demand an audience. Tubal Khan raised his fist, still winded from the hard ride. I appeal to the high council. The ancient one has favored me with a great revelation. I have proof of the ancient one's favor. Enoch grasped a handful of Alru and waved it in the air. We weren't sent to get a revelation. That's telling him, Enoch. His fellow tracker slapped him on the back at the sight of Alru. I can't wait to get me hands on some. A giddy Medici shouted and did a somersault. The festive crowd cooped with delight. Aye, woman, do two more like that and I'll give you some of mine, an elderly man hollered. A group of youths lifted Enoch into the air, tossed him high and chanted. He sought, he fought, and he got what he ought. Enoch! Tubal Khan shouted over the ruckus. The Alru you gathered will one day run out. Then what? Another dangerous trek to the Forbidden Lands? No. I swear by the Ancient One, I have found something better. What could be better than Alru, Tubal Khan? It is a gift from the Kitten Father. You should be grateful he granted us more. Why sulk as your father Cain would? I have met the challenge justly. Admit it, cousin. The Ancient One chose me. I say they settle this like real men. Tubal Khan's father yelled, tossing him a spear. Fine. Enoch dropped his sack and whipped out his dagger. You can call me bearer after we mend your wounds with Alru. If you live that long, Tubal Khan said, jabbing at Enoch. The crowd was so captivated by the anticipation of a challenge they didn't notice Father Seth until he donned his colorful headdress and pounded his staff on the ground. The people parted like wheat from chaff. Enough bickering, Father Seth tapped the sack of Alru with his rod. Was the quest for naught? Enoch returned with Alru first. The issue is settled.
You may have found Alru, I'll grant you that, Tubal Khan said, but I have discovered the fulfillment of the prophecy and a permanent cure for the sickness. These men will prove it. He beckoned the impressive riders waiting on their mounts behind him. What do these men have, Enix said. Light flooded the seti as if someone snatched the midday sun from the sky and threw it to the earth. Enix covered his eyes, dropping the Alru he'd held up in victory just moments before. The light was coming from the men on horseback. They sat so noble and unyielding, some people began to bow. The rider on the white stallion dismounted and raised his hand, diminishing the light instantly. As he walked to the center of the mob, more tribesmen kneeled, while Tubalcon stepped back, allowing the man in the fine robe to speak. Greetings, brothers. I am some jaws of the Elohim. Please do not bow to us, for we are not so unlike yourselves. We, too, serve the Hidden Father. If you will grant us an audience with your elders, we can explain. We know of the curse invoked by your father Adam and his wife Eve and the prophecy the Ancient One has spoken. There is a way to overcome the curse and defeat the serpent, but we must work together. We know not of your comings or goings, nor of your kind. Father Seth stepped into the middle of the circle, silencing the whispers. Yet, it is the way of our people to listen before judging. Father Seth spoke slowly, emphasizing each word as he stared down the rowdy crowd. The High Council will hear the appeal at the Circle of Unity. The other elders donned their headdresses of authority too, making them appear almost as tall as their visitors. Looks like Azura's been busy. That woman always was wise. Sabasi. Please welcome our guests and provide for their needs. Seth's order sent maidens with worn leather bands around their waists scurrying, while two young men dressed in similar garb appeared silently to aid some Jaza's men with buckets of water and food for their horses. After you have been refreshed, some Jaws of the Elohim, our Sabasi will escort you to the Circle of Unity. Your graciousness is welcome like the dew upon dry petals. Samjaza said with a nod. At his cue, Hazazel, Yemezarak, and the others dismounted to follow the Sabasi to their accommodations. One of them, a dark-haired woman, approached Samjaza quietly and offered a cup of steaming liquid. He turned to dismiss the servant girl. Much gratitude to... The pleasure is mine. As the woman curtsied, long, dark hair tumbled in waves over her shoulders. Do you require anything else? She waited with her tray still outstretched. He concealed his surprise with a friendly smile. Not yet. Samjaza studied the woman until she blended in with the other Sabasi workers, preparing a long wooden tray laden with fruits, vegetables, and freshly baked alati cakes. What has you so distracted, Hazazel said. What? I've been trying to get your attention, Hazazel said. Didn't you hear me calling you? Well, what is it? He continued watching the young woman busy at her task until she drifted from his sight. Will we stay through the eve? Our accommodations are quite acceptable. Hazazel led some Jaza into the oversized shelter where Yemezric already sat with the others, drinking a cup of bittersweet. Yemezric passed him a mug of steaming brew. So, no harm done, Captain? None at all. Your error may prove to be my great fortune. Captain Samjaza leaned back onto the cushions and raised his mug to his comrades. Here's to progress. Quick, find cover. 
Azam whispered, pointing to a small grove of trees. Anami and Delmar slipped into position as the men on horseback dismounted and followed the humans to a large tent. Captain Azam settled himself as comfortably as he could considering the numerous weapons concealed in his robe. Knives, daggers, swords, and even axes for chopping were neatly strapped down by a series of strings so Azam could access them quickly with a simple tug on the belt, cinching his robe. Those who did not know him saw the elaborate sash as mere decoration, an extravagance of an overzealous angel. Those who did know him knew better. Looks like some Jaza and his men, Anami whispered. Why are watchers gallivanting around in plain sight of humans? They could have special orders, I suppose, Delmar said. They would have to be special orders indeed to be so bold, Azam tensed. Captain Simjaza was speaking with a distinguished human adorned with a golden sash and headdress. What is he saying, Delmar said. Can't tell. I could access the one mine, but that would alert Simjaza. He is adept at recognizing signatures. Exactly, Delmar said. Simjaza is known for stealth. He is a keen one. Why can't we just... Anami stared at the branch where Delmar had been. Only two rapidly changing golden eyes could still be seen. Delmar's limbs meshed into the tree's branches. I say, quite admirable, Delmar. Very creative. We don't want Simjaza to spot us. Delmar pressed his back into the tree, completely camouflaged. Lamech seethed as he searched for the strangers lounging in the Soka's tent of honor, waiting for an audience. His craggy face showed no signs of rage, but his tongue said otherwise. He waded through the maze of tents, swearing all the way. Cursed fool! Couldn't even find Alru. He passed the white dwellings of the youngest family branches. My dog could have done better. He took a short cut through the tens and blues, housing those with at least two generations of offspring. Idiot, that's what he is. Lamech ranted as he jostled the red and purple tents of the elders of Adenia. Finally, he barged right through the green shelter of the Medicis. Every tribe possessed at least one. But at the annual harvest, all the Medicis combined their tents, forming a protective band around the 33 golden soka. He snagged a few figs from the Medicis stash as he exited their shelter into the revered inner courtyard reserved for the seed of Eve's womb. Curse Tubal fool. Lamech eavesdropped a while, then spat at the Soka tent before he stalked away. He should have brought Alru, not guests to be served. Lamech's wives scattered at the sound of his black mood and foul mouth. The two women dropped their bulging pots full of laundry and leftover stew and fled to the safety of the lesser tents. Lamech ignored them. Foolish women, a nuisance if any. He gripped the rod of cane tightly, pressing it firmly into the ground as he made his way to the circle of unity in the heart of the Soka sanctuary. Now that his son had failed the tribe, their present options were bleak. His plans to rule Adam's realm, for his tribe's sake, of course, would now be delayed if not completely ruined. With Tubal Khan selected as the bearer of the seed, he would have provided counsel and guided his son, gently, of course, from the background. Cursed fool. These Elohim had better prove themselves or I will kill the fool myself. This concludes this chapter of Taken, a metaphysical fantasy audio drama. If you enjoyed this excerpt and just can't wait for the next chapter, 
Download Take an Ebook through Amazon Kindle and read it for free with Amazon Prime. Also, please check back for upcoming chapters of Taken on this podcast. Remember, I has not seen nor ear heard nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. Please share this uplifting read with your friends and get ready to soar. Thank you again for listening and may the favor of the Ancient One be on you.